Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I came across a new word, a word that to my knowledge I had never seen or heard before. Because of its definition, and in my humble opinion, its proximity to values and elements of religious significance, it was surprising to me that it has not come across my attention before now. It was used in an article which discussed the life and contributions of a famous British personality who had just recently died. The word was used in his obituary. As is my habit, whenever I encounter a new word, or even an unusual and infrequently used word, as I've told you before on the broadcast, I look up the definition in a dictionary. As you may realize, I often share these findings with the Echoes of Calvary audience. I hope you find the commentaries as interesting as I did when I discovered these new words. But back now to this new one, the one which I suggest conveys important religious implications. In the founding article, the word was used to describe one of the unusual characteristics of the man whose life the article was discussing. About his pipe, it said that his pipe was sempiternal, sempiternal. There it was, a new word, sempiternal. Looking up the word in the dictionary, I found that the meaning was of never-ending duration or eternal now you will appreciate why I immediately made the leap to conclude that this word had all the earmarks of a religious word, an echoes of Calvary word, if you will, and why I was intrigued, given this clear association that I had never run across that word before. Sempiternal, eternity, of never-ending duration. Glory, 
whether we are describing a man's always present and visible pipe or a man's future unending life in eternity, the word used can be sempiternal. Rather than simply describing the concept of rental life, a concept that is intrinsically difficult to conceptualize and visualize from our human limitations, I believe the word sempiternal helps us to appreciate the quality aspects of what eternal life brings to all believers. It has a proximity to the word everlasting when referring to our eternal life. The definition specified was that it was of a never-ending duration, unending, everlasting, without end, sempiternal. Doesn't all this talk about the quality and duration of a future everlasting life in heaven with God, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, give you goosebumps? The famous Christian apologist C.S. Lewis once wrote, quote, If I discover within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. End of quote. And that world is an everlasting, eternal one. And said another way, it's simply sempiternal.
And now with this message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the fourth message in our series, started on Mother's Day and planned to be completed on Father's Day. This series focuses on the biblical purpose of marriage. We have named the series, Marriage, Its Divine Purpose and Devilish Perversion. Our overall thesis is that marriage is designed to show what God is like and to provide personal fulfillment for husband and wife. Now, in our first two messages, we covered the first part of this proposition. Marriage is designed to show what God is like. And last time, we started to expound on the second part. Marriage is designed to provide personal fulfillment for husband and wife. In that message, the third message, we stopped at the point in which husband and wife and God were enjoying the rich benefits of the fulfillment of God's divine purpose for sexual fulfillment in marriage. We wish we could stay on this mountain top of divine satisfaction and human ecstasy, but unfortunately we can't. You see, that old serpent, the devil, crawled in to ruin it all. So now we must move on to show how the fall introduced a devilish perversion of God's purpose for marriage and family, which now takes us into chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, and specifically verses 1 through 20. This chapter presents a major catastrophic turn in God's plan for mankind. It's a chapter of judgments and specifically the devilish perversion of marriage and the family as intended by God. And so please, if possible, follow along with me in your Bible, if you can. We begin then by looking at a perversion, or I should say perversions and judgments that was self-imposed. I read now from the Word of God, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Remember now, these are perversions or judgments that was self-imposed because of Adam and Eve's sin. Reading now the Word of God, chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman, because God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it also. End of quote. Now notice, the first result of Satan's perversion of marriage was the loss of intimacy between husband and wife that led to the distortion of leadership roles. Notice carefully, Eve acted independently of Adam, and then Adam acted independently of God. They both made choices 
that rejected their respective authoritative head, Adam for Eve and God for Adam. Satan thus achieved his purpose to cause the first couple to rebel against the authority of God. He began with the weaker vessel, the helpmate, who then enticed her mate, her head, to do the same. She was deceived by the deceiver and fell into sin. Adam, on the other hand, her divinely appointed head, was enticed by his helpmate and he chose to sin. He was not deceived. The important thing to note here, however, is that she, that is Eve, Eve succumbed in a crucial area of female weakness, and that is submission to the one who is her authority. Adam, on the other hand, succumbed in the area of male weakness, and that's accountability to his head, in this case is God directly. Those weaknesses continue to be a major cause for marital problems today. It began in the garden with the deception of Eve by Satan. But something else was perverted as well, and that was the awakening of guilt and shame on the part of the couple, which led to the introduction of masks between husband and wife. Verse says that the moment Adam joined his mate in eating the forbidden fruit, quote, at that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, and so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. End of quote. Now this is quite a contrast to what was stated in Genesis two, verse twenty five. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. End of quote. In essence, genuine communication between husband and wife was perverted. Male and female hid their real selves from each other, each with the mistaken idea that they were protecting themselves through their own efforts, independent of each other and independent of God. Again, my friends, this is a major area of moral conflict for those who have not applied the redemptive effects of the cross of Christ to their marriage. But something else happened as a result of this catastrophic fall as well. Not only did husband and wife lose intimacy with one another, but what is perhaps most detrimental of all, they also lost intimacy with God. To state it succinctly and concisely, the loss of intimacy with God led to the major perversion of marriage. Couples are no longer open to God as a couple. Hear the word of God. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Quote, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, this is your New Living Testament, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, and so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked, end of quote. My friends, this is one of the most crucial passages in the Word of God. In fact, in the whole counsel of God, relative to communion with God and with husband and wife. I call it the seed revelation for the ongoing progressive revelation concerning genuine fellowship with God. Not only with regard to husband and wife, 
with the believer in general and also within the context of worship. Let's look at it in some detail then. Notice the text says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is a beautiful picture of communion with God, even worship of God. A quiet, tranquil setting at the most peaceful, tranquil time. The passage suggests that this was a normal experience. God communion with Adam and Eve on a regular basis as husband and wife. Notice first then the tendency to deny respective responsibilities in marriage in verses 11 through 13. I quote, Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So look at this text now. Adam says, My wife made me do it. In fact, he said, The woman that you gave me made me do it. So in effect, he was blaming God. He was saying it was God's fault. He says, the devil made me do it. Notice they both denied their respective areas of responsibilities, each blaming someone else. Adam actually blamed God, and Eve actually blamed Satan. Amazing. This tendency then to avoid responsibilities in marriage on the part of husband and wife has its roots right here in the garden because of the sin of the first married couple. But secondly, notice now the perversions and judgments that were divinely imposed in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. First, the serpent was cursed. Notice the word of God. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. End of quote. My friends, that is the first curse imposed by God as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve. Satan was cursed. It's important to note now that the woman was not cursed. She was judged, of course, but not cursed in that sense. This is an important distinction that we'll note later on. Notice also that the focus of her judgment in her is her relationship to her husband and her role as a mother. Let me quote that again, or let me repeat that. The focus of Eve's judgment is her relationship to her husband and her role as a mother, both of which were involved in God's original mandate to the couple in Genesis 1, verses 28 through 30, where the bearing of children was designed as a blessing from God. The text there says God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. However, now, because of the sin and Satan's perversion of marriage, the mandate to procreate is now to be fulfilled through multiplied pain in childbirth. Notice verse 16 of Genesis 3, quote, Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, 
and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you, end of quote. Notice the paradigm shift here. Childbearing would now be regarded as a curse because of both the physical and emotional pain of both bearing and rearing children. This has caused a completely negative view of parenthood to develop and has impacted women's attitude toward such things as abortion and birth control. These warped perspective of the purpose for children and takes away from the intimacy and stamp of divine approval upon sexual relations between husband and wife. Rather than experience the full ecstasy that God intended for husband and wife to experience when they give themselves totally to one another in the sexual intimacy, the fear of pregnancy imposes a coldness and rigidity that perverts this holy activity. But something else is perverted, and that is the harmonious relationship of two co-equal partners in the gift of life being forever disturbed with bitter rivalry. In other words, the woman's created role as co-ruler with her mate is perverted. Notice the last part of verse 6, quote, And you, referring to the woman, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, get ready for some real Bible study here, because they are, this is an important section for us to study together. There are two major views concerning this passage, especially concerning what is being desired by the woman. But really, in order to do it justice, we cannot do it at this time because our time is gone for today. And so we will leave it for next time. Until then, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Selah, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment, listening every moment. for the mind.
happen in a moment. Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every morning for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our tolling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again